The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game, a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm your host, Shane Kelly, and I'm joined by my full complement of siblings. <laughs> hey, bro. Hey, bro. How's it going? Uh, it's all right. It's all right. I am, uh, yeah, I've been enjoying playing this game uh, and uh, happy to talk about it with you today. Yeah, this is a game that uh, I was really curious about, so... Uh, we haven't really talked about it on the podcast up to this point, but uh, I, I finally, in my life, got a gaming PC. So when I was setting up my PC and, and trying to decide what games to throw on it, I remembered uh, some discussion we'd had about Hard Space Shipbreaker, which the concept really appealed to me, and uh, it seemed kind of fun. So I just started it up and, and decided to explore it. We don't usually play this kind of game for the show. We're kind of... Uh, trying to find some new territory for the show and we haven't really played a lot of early access games and i think that'd be kind of fun to do here so i definitely been having a lot of fun with this game so uh, i'm glad i we've made some time to talk about it i we, we can get into the the details of what makes it cool yeah we're in a bit of a funny place with this game in that like it's a it, we're kind of talking about it just as it's about to stop being a short game <laughs> because yeah. uh it's it is like we said early access um and I, this is one of those early access games that I think is probably fine to jump onto now. Like, I don't think there's necessary. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I really do usually feel with early access that like, well, I'm not going to play through this all again. Uh, so like, why play an unfinished version of it? Um, but this game has a sort of loop that makes it, I think, work in this way. Yeah. Let's talk about what, what are you breaking when you're in hard shape, hard, hard shape, shapes, burst, no, hard, <laughs> hard shape, ship burster. Yes. Hard space Shipbreaker is a sim game. And that's another genre we don't cover a whole lot on the show. But it's a simulation of being a um, kind of a first-person perspective dock worker taking apart spaceships in low Earth orbit, which is, that's exactly what got me interested in the game in the first place, because I've never heard uh, a game concept like that. You're, uh, you're armed with a, a set of different tools, and you, you exit your little habitat... And you start, you know, making your way towards these increasingly large spaceships, starting with little shuttlecraft all the way up to giant, um, you know, cargo liners and, and that are um, all, you know, full 3D. And you start just chopping them apart and you have a work order um, that allows you to kind of you see these different things on the ship that you're supposed to salvage and in many cases that means um really carefully disassembling and then just yanking out different parts of this ship and then um either putting them onto a giant barge that's uh that kind of adjoins your salvage area or if it's scrap metal or scrap nanocarbon throwing them into a couple of different processors that you have so uh, the the game has a really great gameplay loop um, 
like I said, you're equipped with these different gadgets that you can use. One of them, probably the most fun, most interesting one, is a tether tool that you can use um, to pull yourself or to pull scrap around. Uh, And you can either do that by tethering onto things and just uh, retracting the tether and kind of yanking yourself to move really quickly, or by deploying these kind of energy tethers that are like a double-ended string that's going to have a really strong pulling force. And you can kind of double these up to get even more pulling force, yanking pieces off of the ship. Uh, And then the second piece of equipment is a laser cutter. And that laser cutter has a couple of modes. There's a kind of a pinpoint laser soldering tool that you can use to melt um, different parts of the ship. Uh, And there's also a kind of line cutter. You can kind of spread the, the beam out and cut uh, kind of swaths across kind of panels and things like that. Um, the third tool, and one you don't unlock for quite a while in the game if you're playing the career mode, are demolition charges that you can um, you can use to kind of blast bits apart. So I think what I I think what we should take a second and sort of explain a little bit more about is like the the how the ships work because i think what surprised me most about this game like i understood like okay this is a game that sort of functions the ships are procedurally generated which is yeah. one of the things that's really interesting the thing that surprised me here is that the ships are really fully 3d realized um so the, this is a game about you know cutting apart ships and it has this sort of puzzle like element where like each of these ships has this sort of intricate way of being constructed out of various different materials and pieces they might have like an outer shell and an inner shell for for pressurization they uh you know and those are connected with various different sorts of little metal spars and they have different different like attachment points on them. And then inside the ship, there's all sorts of different stuff. So you might have a, you know, different uh, modules. There's, there's furniture inside the ships. There's uh, like, you know, units to control the the environment. There's engines, there's power systems. Uh, the ships are remarkably fully realized in intricate 3d detail. Um, and they're complex enough that it's kind of surprising how easy, well, not easy, because some of these are quite, you know, they become these little puzzles, but like how how very completely you can disassemble them. So there, there's a lot yeah. of different, you know, Shane mentioned all these different tools that you use, but you're using those in a bunch of different ways. And this game felt a lot like a, like a sort of verging on a puzzle game for me, because each of these ships is a kind of a little like sealed puzzle box that just sort of looks like a, you know, uh, undifferentiated gray rectangle with protrusions from the outside. But once you start scanning it with your 3D scanner, you start realizing like, okay, this thing has these multiple different parts. They're attached here. And then you are flying around and inside of these ships, these massive ships in three dimensions and finding the best approach to pop the seal on their on their environment you know on their on their pressurization so they depressurize to cut apart the hull you know maybe dis- detach the important pieces of the hull from the interior parts so that you can open the ship up and and retrieve important parts from the interior of the ship maybe even finding 
ideal routes. So like some of these things like that you want to get out of the ship to salvage are actually very dangerous. Things like fuel cells or nuclear reactors that you need to store safely and quickly. And so there's things like how do I get the reactor out of the ship and onto my supply barge without killing myself? Um, And it's like that kind of stuff that like really makes this like like it really kind of straddles this line between sim and puzzle game. Uh, and I, I have never played anything like this before. Like I, you know, I've played yeah. other sim games, but like this is simulating something and, and hitting a real good point where like simulation games can sometimes be like ultra complicated or like ultra, like, uh, you know, uh, figurative i don't know if that's the right word you know like uh, they can really simplify things into just like very sort of like wireframey versions of them this really walks a line where like this feels realistic ish but also always sort of feels like you kind of have this ability to understand this this system um it's really really cool in my opinion yeah, part of the way they they simplify that is through the kind of design of the ships, which I think procedurally generated is maybe a little bit of an exaggeration. If if that at least if if I were hearing that term, yeah, I, I think they have I think they're classes. just procedurally generating things like like where are the various units within the ship, right. and like what sort of cargo are they carrying, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, absolutely, and and every ship has different classes. Uh, so there are different classes of ship that represent like the size and complexity of the ship, and you start off with really simple shuttlecraft. But even just that most basic shuttlecraft, um, you're going to see different loadouts for it. Some of them are station hopper ships that uh, are kind of easy to break into, uh, but a lot of little pressurized areas, a lot of furniture inside. Um, inside of those ships, you find a lot of things like tanks of spare oxygen that actually make taking them apart really easy because you're one of the things you're managing in this game is a bunch of resources like your oxygen and the wear and tear on your gear and things like that. Um, or the number of these energy tethers that you carry. And, and that's one of the things that, at least in the current version of the game, are a big part of the progression. But other... Um, other loadouts for the ships would include things like, you know, like a more cargo oriented version of it or uh, one that's a fuel tanker that is full of big canisters of fuel. And every one of these presents kind of different challenges as you get to the bigger ships, especially uh, that have a lot of weird crawl spaces that you have to make your way around in order to get to it. Um, you're in a lot of danger and this game, <laughs> because this, this is a game with lots of different ways to die. Uh, let's see, you can die by, uh, forgetting to refill your oxygen tanks. Uh, you can die by accidentally, uh, setting yourself on fire by overheating your, your cutter. You can, there's lots of ways to die with the cutter. You can, uh, <laughs> depressurize a, a portion of the ship that like then sucks you, uh, into a wall or like blasts you into a hard object. Uh, you can... Uh, cut any number of different hazardous elements like uh, the reactor, the coolant tanks, the energy setup, uh, the uh, the big one is the uh, uh, the fuel tanks. If you cut those, and if you do that, boom, you're yeah. The one of the things that I really love about this is you're right back because we haven't mentioned the kind of world 
that this game is setting up, the premise. Um, but you are going to be revived as a clone right away and, and be charged $150,000 for the privilege. Um, because the, I'll let me detour for a minute about the premise of the game. This is set in a distant future Earth. And we are playing a version of the game that is before the story campaign has been introduced. That's coming apparently in the next version of the game. Uh, they've announced it. It's coming quite soon. Um, but this is, what, March of 2021? And uh, we haven't yet got that version yet. So, uh, But the, the world of the game is made clear through um, a lot of little ways, little text things that you can find in the menus and things like that. So this is a distant future. Humanity has moved out to the solar system. Um, Earth is kind of a backwater. And that is also kind of characterized in... And there's hints of all sorts of things in like the logs that you find. Uh, one of my favorite things about the, w- the way they're doling out those logs right now is there's little um, data drives that are uh, you can pick up from inside the ships uh, in like the pressurized areas and you can find like, you can decrypt people's emails and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, humanity has moved out from Earth. Earth is kind of the backwater. Um, and the Lynx Corporation has basically set up shop in low Earth orbit around Earth because um, low Earth orbit around Earth is already a junkyard. Um, it's the uh, that kind of the, the Kepler disorder, like you see in the movie Gravity, where the uh, low Earth orbit is just nothing but space junk hitting more space junk, making tinier and more deadly pieces of space junk. Uh, there's even a little log that talks about how dangerous it is to come out of the earth gravity well they they just recommend like you know it's a it's a crapshoot to come up from earth uh the 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 transport ships are blasted by space junk all the time so just uh uh get high and sleep through the uh sleep through it you'll either you'll either die in your sleep or you'll you'll make it to earth orbit which you the cutter have done uh and you've made it to low earth orbit uh you have signed a contract with links uh, that means they now own your DNA and can reconstitute <laughs> you at will. Um, and they are paying you in scrip and company uh, links tokens, uh, which can be exchanged to uh, keep your basic tools of your work in order and, and do some upgrades to things like your cutter's range. Um, and that's that's the game. You are uh, starting off like a billion dollars in debt. And you can only... Uh, you can only pay that money down by cutting apart these ships, but also make sure you're doing it fast because you're paying rent on all of the equipment. You're paying rent and you're buying your oxygen. You're paying rent on <laughs> on the cutter. You're paying rent on your spacesuit. Um, you're paying a fee every time you start a shift. So it's a capitalist uh, you better get to nightmare. work. You better. F- <laughs> it really is, and it's. I absolutely love that aspect of the premise. This is another thing that I think really pulled me into the game. Um, what stuck me with the game, and I've played about 25 hours of this game now, is the loop being so good. But the the story, to me, feels extremely ripe for uh, just there's a lot of stuff that I think they could do with the story and the world of this game. I, I really like the idea of a um, kind of a blue collar space construction slash deconstruction sim. Uh, that it really appeals to me. In fact, if if there's one game that this game reminds me of the most, it's Outer Wilds. And it's 
That's there's a not weird a really comparison. it's not super similar, but what it does the thing that the reason that I compare it there is that it has this rustic science fiction element to it, right? So there's two there's two ways that they're similar. One is they're both games where there's this kind of simulation-y element and kind of a puzzle element working together and involve that that, that both involve maneuvering maneuvering around a lot in 3D uh, zero G space. So there's that at least. But there's also this kind of rustic tone to it. So when you have these sci-fi settings, um, what you're often not getting is banjo music, and that is something that you get in both of these. So I think <laughs> okay, there's that. Yeah. So I, I to me it had some of that some of that DNA, uh, and I really like that. That's a thing that really works for me. Having this kind of kind of blue collar energy to your space sim is something that, you know, is a real choice. And for me really, really works. Um, there are some things about the tone of the game. Once you start digging through all the logs, like not all of it was firing on all cylinders in my opinion, but like uh, enough of it was that I really like the world of this game. And I'm looking forward to when they bring out the, uh, the story, the act one of the story is coming in the next update. They say so. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, I've said a lot about it, I guess, uh, we could start getting into some of the stuff like um, tips for cutting the ships apart, or we could talk about the different classes of ship or all the uh, ways to die that I haven't talked about yet. <laughs> I think it's worth talking a little bit more about like what specifically you're doing when you're taking these ships apart. Cause you're kind of, uh, you, so you're playing uh, the ships are in this sort of ring and on the periphery of the ring, there's these sort of furnaces uh, so there's like one yeah. special furnace that's like a dis. What do they call these ones again? There are basically three kinds of material that you're collecting, and each of them goes to a different place. The most valuable material is stuff that goes on the barge, and that is um, when you get a tooltip on it. It's green. That's things like computers, um, airlocks, things that are heavily mechanical or electrical, um, especially things like the reactor. Mm -hmm. Also stuff like furniture. Yeah, furniture, um, real finished goods kind of stuff goes in there. And that stuff, a lot of it is really easy to pull out. Like you just grab it with the, the you can grab the computer or like on the outside of the ship, there'll be things like antennas. And you can grab those and just pull them off and just throw them in the barge. And the barge is huge. It takes up one full side of your working area. Um, on... Two adjacent sides, each of those two sides has both a uh, processor and a furnace. And the processor is the place where you dump nanocarbon. And that is the second highest by, you know, just kind of by value by volume. That's a lot of your panels from the outside of the ship are, are nanocarbon. Like the, a lot of the big panels or big chunks of the ship are, are that. And then there's also the low the, the lowest value is stuff you would throw in the furnace, and that's going to be metal. And that'll be things like, uh, well, some of the panels are metal, like aluminum, or uh, some a lot of the struts that make up the structure of the ships are titanium, and 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 that's the stuff that you throw in the furnace. You you get the insides, you get the guts of the ship exposed, 
uh, and you just start hauling out all the pieces that you want and just checking off things on the work order. And the most important thing in this game is to be checking off the items on the work order. When you check off items on the work order, that's giving you the uh, script currency of the game. And that's how you start upgrading your gear. So that's really the main currency. Uh, The dollars, the quote-unquote real money in the game, you don't really play with that that much. Um, You you, you get more money the more of the ship you take apart and... uh, but you're also constantly being taxed and, and you know, you're, you're, you're making money at a very slow rate. I think I started a billion dollars in debt. And I think over the course of the game, I made about $100,000. <laughs> so, Good luck. Um, yeah, I'm still like $900 million in debt. Maybe I don't even need to be explaining the system of like upgrades and stuff progress to you. Because in the version that you may be playing, if you're playing this after the 0.4 update... All of that progress is going to be reset, and apparently they're giving us a new progression system. So this is a game I'm planning to come back. This is just why I, we don't often cover early access games, because here I am talking to our audience, and if I convince you to play this game, it may have nothing to do with what I'm saying right now. But Yeah, it's kind of a weird thing about it. Like, I, I am excited to see where this goes, uh, because I think it has a lot of... like they've, I think they've really nailed the basic mechanic that this game revolves around the idea of like okay go in here and take this ship apart and presenting you with like increasing difficulty in that task uh and the tools they've given you feel really good the movement is fairly interesting it feels like truly like uh unfettered 3d you know zero g movement um and i think they've really nailed that core what they're working on now is adding a story And we don't really know what that's going to be like. And I think that's where this game is going to sort of like live and die in terms of like a more general release. Um, I can see a lot of really exciting directions they could take for a story mode for this game. I was constantly thinking of like, wow, it would be really cool if it did X or Y. And like none of those things happen in this very sort of wireframey version that's the, the early access version. Um, I was thinking to myself, like, wow, wouldn't it be cool if I found a stowaway or if one of these ships was like, you know, like where where are the warships? You know, I haven't taken apart a warship right. um, or like like have have more environmental storytelling happening within the ships. You know, something something surprising or dramatic that you find in one of these dead ships would be would go a long way rather than just having you find like tapes. There are a lot of really good ideas here already that hint at that. And so I am very optimistic for that. First off, I think the writing that does exist in the game is good. Um, Where you're finding that writing is mainly in things like um, there's these like data drives that you find often kind of floating around the interior of the ships. But in one case, uh, we found one taped to the outside of the habitat that you that you stay in. Yeah. Uh, maybe by a previous shipbreaker. That was kind of cool. Um, but, you know, they're not really telling a story with those yet. They're really just doing world building. I, I also really have a lot of things I would love to see in this. Um, I think there's a lot of room to tell an interesting kind of anti-corporate story. And they're already kind of playing with those ideas a lot in what they've written. 
but um, there's not much difference between uh, disassembling a ship and sabotaging a ship. Right? Yeah. So there's there's I think a lot of opportunity to use the mechanics and design that they already have in that way. Um, we haven't talked much about what you actually see around the shipyard that you're working in. Uh, if you look up, there's a um, kind of, uh, they call it like a rail station, and it's it lights up every now and then. It seems like some kind of faster-than-light portal gate, uh, and there's like materials and cargo coming in and out of it. One of the things you you find on one of those data drives is like a diagram of one of them. Uh, that like talks about the parts of it and it looks like it's got a lot of stuff to load in and out. Um, the guy that you talk to, there's like, I'm, I'm a sucker for a, like a narrator with a nice Southern drawl. And they have one <laughs> of those kind of talking you through, um, some of the elements of the game, like how to use your equipment. And the first time the, uh, the rail gate goes off, uh, he, he, he's referring, he says, he says like, ah, I never get tired of seeing those. Maybe one day it'll be you <laughs> heading out there, you know, like, cause your goal, uh, your stated goal, I guess in the game is to escape earth and get away and go live somewhere. That's not so shitty. Um, <laughs> and, and you're not, maybe after you pay off a billion dollars in debt, I would really like to see this lean into that kind of anti corporate vibe. Um, you see all this cargo coming up. There's like a, like a space elevator that seems to kind of be um, maybe taking away the stuff that you've reclaimed off of the ships. It's hard to tell exactly what's going on there. It's like a, but there's tons and tons of cargo like moving very near you. Um, And if you try and go over near it, uh, the company kills you (laughs) uh, (laughs) by like, by like, like I don't know, like literally, just you die, and they and they tell you you're voided, you voided your contract by leaving your work area. Uh, I guess they like cut your oxygen or something. Um, so that's like just one more way to die in this game. Uh, I I would love to fuck with this company. They're setting up a uh, they're setting up a corporation. I would absolutely love to um, get my vengeance on. And I I think you know a laser cutter is a great tool for that vengeance. So. Uh, I, I like the opportunities that are presented here, um, and if they can, be, they, if they can just use the tools that they have built um, and integrate them into a story in a good way, like I think they've got something here. I think they're they're going to have a fun game. So yeah, and I think um, we're going to see more of that pretty soon with with the like you know. So the the story mode they say is something like fifteen hours of content. Now I think that might be. So that's already not a short game. Yeah. Thanks, yeah. guys. Yeah, thanks. I, I, I suspect that, you know, th- this is the kind of thing where, like, you know, th- I think there's an incentive, especially with games in early access, to, you know, dress up the amount of content that they have. This game launched, like, when I first played this game, it was pretty soon after launch, and there were two ships available at the time, you know? And it's been, what, like, six months since that and yeah. they've added a bunch no, of more. No, the, the game launched in early access uh, last summer, summer of 2020, and like June or July. Oh, and, God, it's been more uh, than six months since then. Time. What is yeah. time? Anyway, yeah. you know what I mean. It is it, you know, less than a year, but they've added a lot of additional, like, just like game content to it, things like additional ships and different v- varieties of ships. And, and they've, like, done even just sort of basic stuff, like adding that, uh, that like, uh, you know, 
a hyperspace gate that you can like look up and see, you know, they've added like environmental details like that. And obviously in the background, they've been working on story content that they're going to be releasing in part soon. That's really exciting to see. And I think that's really when we're going to see what kind of game this is going to be apart from being like a really interesting set of puzzle like mechanics. So I'm, I've really been enjoying this game. I've gone back to it several times since initially picking it up. And it was fun to go back to it yet again and find that like, oh, hey, there's still new stuff here. Um, but like once the actual story mode drops, I think we're going to see like what is what are they what are they really trying for for like a final game experience here? That said, like I I would have never really thought of myself like I, I really, really usually avoid uh, early access games in general. Like my usual approach to early access is like if a game's in early access, typically that means that there is some version of its story mode, but it it needs work or needs additional like chapters or polish or what have you. Um, but what this has been up to now is like, here is just the game part and the story is coming later. And that's actually been, I think, a really good approach because like this game's, the bones here are incredibly fun. I continue to have fun just booting this up to do a shift. And the fact that it it will have a story, like I think this almost doesn't need a story. It's like, it's like a cool Zen experience just to sort of boot it up and take apart a spaceship. Uh, and the fact that it will have a story is great, but like, it's been a different experience for me than most early access where like, like I, I kind of always sort of feel like, like, why am I playing this version of the game when I could come back later and get a better version of the same experience? And I won't want to repeat the experience, but because this is like, has mostly been me engaging with sort of this, like, you know, storyless version of this set of mechanics, and that has already been really compelling. I, I, I'm into it. Like it, the it, the the early access part of it has not bothered me, or or you know, I, I still felt it was worthwhile as an experience. What story they have that it, it's it's kind of the light dusting, but it's very resonant. What it really reminds me the most of, uh, I mean, I, I've, I'm making a lot of analogies here, but do you remember that um, this was in a news article a little while back, but. Elon Musk was talking about how he's going to colonize Mars. And yeah. uh, he said he would have loans available for people who don't have the money to fly to Mars and that they could then have jobs on the red planet uh, where these colonists could pay off their debt. Oh, my word. <laughs> so, yeah, like this sort of interplanetary indentured servitude is something that could exist in the not too distant future. So, so this is, this I mean, is, I mean, is, it literally, you know, this is, this is, this is a, a business model that literally did exist in like the 1600s, right? Like ship those people. You don't have to, to go the, that far back. No, not even. Yeah. And ship these people off to the new world or Australia or whatever. And, and make them work on your dirt farm for a nickel a week until they've paid off their fare. Right. It's, it's yeah, a, or you look at mining towns. Literal in, nightmare. In like early, um, yeah, you don't have to look that far back to find you know mining towns where you're getting paid in scrip, right? Yeah. So, so that's basically what they're what they're setting up here. I think it's very very evocative what they've created, and the fact that I'm so fascinated with the world of this game, um, you know, even even before there's like basically any story. 
for me to play, I think is a very good sign. Hopefully that they don't like, you know, screw the pooch on this and just drop a story that's absolute garbo. <laughs> Tur- turns but, out, turns out the story uh, is racist. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, it could oh, happen. No. But yeah, no. I don't know. It seems like they're really on the right track here. I, I I'm very excited to see where it goes, but I guess the the point I was trying to make earlier is like with most early access games, I don't feel comfortable putting them on the show in this kind of format because I, I feel like I'm saying like, hey, you know, invest in this product that may or may not offer you a return on on your on your dollar. Right. But like I really feel I so I, I paid 20 bucks for this at the start of early access. They've since increased the price to 25. But like this is so worth 25 dollars, even if it existed only in its exact current form permanently. Yeah. If this, if the version that they have now, like w- with all the ships, there's so many ships in it now. Um, if the version that we have now was like the game, I would be happy with it. I'm, I'm interested to see the story, um, but maybe the story I'm inventing in my head is better. I don't know. We'll yeah, see. yeah, same. Honestly, like I, I've definitely had like you know a lot of like thinking about like oh like how would I do the story yeah. mode for Hard Space Shipbreaker, yeah. and I'm sure it's you know I'm sure it's gonna be fine but like and it, it's probably not going to be like the story of the year or anything i mean not that i would i don't know maybe they're really cooking something special i don't know but like it doesn't have to be the the mechanics here are are the the focus for me and it's just it's just a really fun thing to do flying around in 3d and disassembling intricate things it gives you this sense of, of like mastery that is like it's it's really cool and i I said this earlier but like it really does a great job of straddling a line between being um extremely like realistic simulation-y and also like wireframe puzzly like it really walks a line between those two yeah and also i like the way they tutorialize i didn't really talk about that i don't always love the way tutorials work in games but here like I did mention the lovely Southern gentleman who is telling you, well, listen, Cutter, tethers <laughs> are your friends. <laughs> yeah, that dude. You know, I, I think if I have one complaint about this game, and I don't think this is really solvable because it's a difficult problem, but like I I definitely had a lot of trouble, especially early on, but even even after many hours of the game, I had a hard time with just moving around you know, this is a game about moving through three-dimensional space. And one aspect of that they're, they're trying to keep fairly, um, uh, I don't know, simulation-y is uh, acceleration. You know, uh, it's very dangerous in space that there are no brakes on your movement. You're not, wa- you're, not, you're not moving through air where there's resistance. If you get going up to a certain speed, you are going. And you are going to hit something if you, or, you know, fly out into space uh, and hurt yourself. And uh, that's very possible here. And also, of course, this being zero G, you can be oriented in any direction. So, I, you know, you, if you're used to first person shooters, you're very used to doing things like circle strafing around or like, you know, jumping or what have you. Um, but like, imagine there is no up and down and you can get turned on any axis and it can get kind of hard to orient yourself. So like, I you know, I want to approach a ship and cut a very small cut point on the upper corner of a part of a ship. Well, I have to, first of all, point myself at the ship, then perhaps spin forward or backward in order to make sure that I'm actually pointed at the ship 
on that axis so that when I move, I'm not going to like overshoot in one way or the other. I also need to make sure that I'm rotated to a direction uh, that will be approaching the ship at an angle where I'll be able to actually see the thing that I'm cutting. And uh, then when I move towards the ship, I need to be able to move towards it and not, and then, you know, break and stop before hitting it at high speed. Um, Just moving around in that totally fully 3D, you know, no up, no down kind of way can get really confusing. You know, if you're inside a ship, especially where the floors and the ceilings look a lot alike, it can be really uh, difficult to navigate. You might lose your way. Um, and I found that sometimes a little frustrating. That challenge, that challenge I really liked. So one thing that's worth mentioning about this is you, you do have a lot of control over yourself and your movement. Like the movement controls are quite complicated. You've got W I played on key oh, with a keyboard. Yeah. And W-A-S-D, I played with a controller, you know, your, your usual controls move you forward, back, left and right. Uh, but Q and E were assigned to rotating you clockwise or counterclockwise. Um, and if you pressed both of those, that triggered the break. That basically put a break on your movement. And that's something you're using all the time in this game. Um, there's also another weird way to get around, which is uh, you have gloves that are like... Um, they in the item description it says they have the like Vanderwall effect like a gecko right so they, they like stick to things you have sticky gloves um, and so you can kind of walk around on the surface of the ship um, with your hands and you do that with Z and X on the keyboard like you can you can literally walk by doing like left right left right left right uh, with your hands and then there's also a lot of things like you know the airlock controls and things like that you're you're using with uh with your hands so like walking around the insides or outsides of the ship is is another way to get around um but yeah that's a lot of different controls it's also like space and shift to like make you go up or down so there is a lot you you can also like rocket once you get good with that stuff you can rocket yourself around using the grapple that uh the grappling gun isn't good also isn't just for like moving parts of the ship around or using the tethers you can also use it to pull yourself um and get really really fast uh but that is yet another way to kill yourself <laughs> yeah. because if you uh start pulling yourself really fast and you slam into something um you will shatter your helmet and your oxygen will run out instantly and then you'll die uh, slowly and painfully, uh, but you won't make any sound because space. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, I, I take your, I, I take what you say about the the movement in this game. The movement is complex, but that is also part of the appeal of the game to me. Like th- that's um, another way. I think it's very similar to the Outer Wilds, where like just getting around is kind of a challenge and surmounting that challenge is part of the fun. Yeah. I found this, like I, I, I've really sort of eventually wrapped my head around the kind of strange ship movement mechanics in outer wilds. It had that similar, like this is three dimensional zero G space kind of thing, but like it had an autopilot, for example, um, this has no autopilot and I, I I found myself never quite getting to the level of like, 
feeling super comfortable and fluid floating around. I always sort of felt in this like I was like, you know, getting like 80% of to where I wanted to be and then kind of like flailing until I could do what I wanted to do. Um, so the the movement never uh, never felt like really like, like I never felt like mastery over it. And I tried both keyboard and the and gamepad controls. Gamepad controls worked a little better for me um, because things like having the like rotation beyond things like the triggers uh, really kind of made sense. Um, and in a way that like the like go up and go down controls uh, being on what sort of traditionally would feel like a like a jump and duck button kind of uh, the way things are mapped kind of made sense to me brain wise but like it was still really frustrating to be like i want to cut this thing and like it's it's right there i can see it but i can't point myself at it <laughs> like that's that's really frustrating when when you're like i just i just want to aim no like no that way no ah that way it's a little weird um but like i don't know it is definitely like part of it you know that this like this is it's really trying to simulate that like actual three-dimensional zero g movement and it mostly succeeds at that and the the things that i found frustrating are probably just sort of part of the part of the experience so um and you know it's still pretty cool so uh i think there's not much else to say about hard space shipbreaker uh, other than maybe we'll ca- check back in once the story mode's out but it's currently available on Steam in early access. Uh, I believe it's Windows only at this point. Um, let me see if that's true. Yes, it is Windows only. So Steam for Windows. Uh, they have plans to bring it out on consoles, but only once the game exits early access. And that's, I think, been like the, the standard model lately is like exiting early access and coming to consoles is like the, you know, simultaneously is like the move now. Uh, after Hades made such a big splash with that specific, you know, approach. Um, but like, I, I'm really excited to see this reach a broader audience with consoles. So maybe we'll re, uh, revisit it once that happens. Yeah. And with uh, a little, a little time here at the end, do you want to talk about what's making us happy this week? Uh, sure. You got anything? Yeah. Hang on. Let me try and let me try and summon some will to live. Yeah. Well, it's kind of a toss up. Uh, two things are really making me happy. One, is I almost have my uh, living room and downstairs almost totally remodeled. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, if you have walls in your house that you don't like, get rid of them. That's my advice. (laughs) I'm getting rid of a whole wall, uh, opening up the wall between my dining room and my living room. And I'm really excited for the way it makes my downstairs look. So this this is exciting to me. Um, other things that are making me happy this week, I'm really hyped for Monster Hunter World, or sorry, uh, Monster Hunter Rise, that's the new one, um, a bunch of my friends are playing it, I just downloaded it, I'm getting started with it, so that's making me happy, uh, I have so many, Time Spiral Remastered in Magic the Gathering came out last week, uh, or maybe like a wee, maybe a couple weeks ago, losing track of time, this is a reprint of a or a rehash of a magic set or block of sets that uh, came out in 2006 when I was not playing and uh, they have brought it out and it was full of all these like time shifted cards where they like reprinted uh like popular cards but with the old magic border that reminds me of my childhood nostalgia so so wonderful so painful uh, so so expensive to try and chase all these cards. 
Um, and I, yeah, I don't know. It's been a weird week because I've just been all over the place. I've been really busy with work. So, um, you know, I, I have a lot of little things making me happy, but mostly it's just stuff like I ordered a pizza. <laughs> you know, doesn't that always make you happy? God, I love ordering a pizza. Almost. Sometimes it makes me kind of depressed. <laughs> okay, yeah, there is that hazard. It kind of depends on the context, right? If you're ordering a pizza, but you're like, yeah. I'm going to put my feet up and order a pizza and treat myself to something delicious, then you're, yeah, great. But if you're ordering a pizza because you're like, I have no food in my house, and I'm ordering a pizza because it's the only way I can eat, then that is, in fact, not great. You know... It was a bit of both, but damn, you know what? Oh, here's the th- here's the tip, hot tip for you guys who are listening. Um if you if you do the like Pizza Hut, I'm a Pizza Hut man. Um but you can get stuffed crust and you can get it like they can put like a garlic butter wash on it and and you can have them put uh like shredded cheese on the crust and now the crust is better than the pizza. Ooh, that sounds pretty good. What's your standard pizza order, Shane? My usual pizza order is a pepperoni pizza large, and then I just have them just do it up on the crusts. That's that's what I usually do. Mm, Yeah, I uh, I have been cheap over the last few years where I like to do the like, you know, two large pizzas for like, I don't even remember how much you spend, but like, you know, I, I get some like real basic ass pizzas, but I get like big pizzas, but I don't go for the fancy like, uh, you know. Here's a, you know, meat lovers or whatever, where they've like assembled a pizza for you, curated with a lot of custom ingredients. I'm like, give me the basic two topping pizza, right? Where there's like a coupon, you know, that's my whole deal. So then I throw stuff on top of it. So I'll get a basic pepperoni pizza and then I add hot sauce or, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, that's my approach is get, send me, send me a reasonably priced pizza and let me add some stuff on top. Uh, you know, add the, the, uh, red pepper flakes and cheeses. And I look through my pantry and see if I've got anything that's worth throwing. Oh, get the chili crisp. That's the thing. Oh, when we're talking about putting stuff on top of pizza, chili crisp. Mm, Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Did you get some yet? Uh, I told you a while ago, go get yourself some chili crisp. I literally just had some uh, on eggs. Like, I that's my, that's my, if I'm alone, uh, which is rare, but if I'm by myself <laughs> lately and I'm trying to make a meal, um, I just like fry an egg and put chili crisp on it and put it on toast, uh, ideally with some avocado. And then I just live it up. Mm-hmm. Nice, you millennial. That's how you know I'm rich, because I have a house and avocado toast. <laughs> uh, I, I, have no, uh, I have no segue for that, but I can tell you a little bit about one thing that's been making me happy this week that's by way of a recommendation. Um, I've been playing a lot of Capcom beat-em-ups recently. You know, I, I had, when we covered uh, uh, Streets of Rage 4, it kind of reignited, like, why haven't I been playing beat-em-ups more, you know, in my brain? And so I've been playing a lot more uh, retro beat-em-ups over the last little while. And uh, I've mentioned on the show before that I'm into uh, and really enjoy the Mr. Project, which is a sort of FPGA-based, you know, retro game hardware thing. And what is it? I don't think you've ever talked about that to me before. 
I've I've definitely talked your ear about off about I'm it, just, and uh, I'm I'm, I'm sure I'm on the record. You gave me one. It's awesome. Yeah, actually, I have a. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if it'll be out by the time this episode comes out, but I just recorded a uh, a guest episode on the Pocketoid podcast. Uh, one of their hosts is a uh, a big retro gaming nerd, and uh, basically spent an hour nerding out with him about the Mister Project. Uh, and I think they're going to be releasing that sometime in the next week or two. So I'll point people that direction when that's out. If you want to hear me really nerd out about that, but specifically what I've been playing on that. Is a bunch of Capcom beat 'em ups. Uh, Capcom had a really good run of beat 'em ups in the uh, in in the like '90s and and a little later. Um, the one that really like specifically was brand new to me and I really really enjoy is the Punisher. Um, Capcom had a, a problem, I think, where they they did a lot of really great beat-em-ups, but most of their best ones were, like, licensed games that they can't easily re-release. So, like, last year, they came out with that Capcom beat-em-ups collection on Switch and a bunch of other platforms, and it has some good stuff, but it only has the stuff that Capcom has, like, their own rights to. So, like, that had, like, Final Fight, obvious classic, but, like, that was sort of sort of early. Uh, Captain Commando, The King of Dragons, Knights of the Round... Um, and a couple of other things, I think. And those are pretty good games. But where Capcom really started hitting their stride with beat-em-ups was when they started doing these like later games that were mostly licensed titles. And something like The Punisher, like they licensed it from uh, from Marvel or Alien vs. Predator, which is like a double license because it's, you know, the Alien franchise and the Predator movies. Uh both of those are incredible beat-em-ups that have like really amazing sprites and like you know they're they're just absolutely a blast to play. The Predator was brand new to me. I played Alien versus Predator uh a, a number of times, but like the Punisher, excuse me, the Punisher game is really really solid. Like it's it's got good encounters. Uh you can play as obviously the Punisher or you can also play as uh Nick Cage. Uh, who apparently is part of that series, and it's just it, it like you, it's you know it, it, the most of the enemies have guns like Nicolas Cage the uh, the actor. Oh, did I say Nick? I meant Nick Fury. <laughs> Excuse me. Nick Fury. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. I, I was about to say I'm I'm in. I meant Nick Fury uh, from the Marvel films, but not that Nick Fury. You know the like comic book Nick Fury, the like grizzled white guy, like you know war vet, eye patch yeah. man. Okay. Uh, excuse me, Sorry. not Nicholas. Oh, that would be that would have been honestly me. much better if Nicholas Cage was in there, uh, but he's not. How many video games actually feature Nicholas Cage? Because there's got to be some video game adaptation of some movie he's been in, right? I bet so. Was there a Ghost Rider video game? There should have been. Is there? Oh, no. Um, <sighs> he only has three video game credits on his IMDb. And there's a game called Wild Star and a game called Swords and Soldiers. Well, those both sound like they lit the world on fire. Yeah. What? He seems like the kind of guy who will do literally anything for a check. How does he not have more video game credits? I don't know, man. Maybe the fact that he's probably not a particularly good voice actor is a factor. Like, he really, like, Nicolas Cage works because of his face, which is very strange. It's not even, though. Well, no, it's, it's, he's, 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 he's a master of, like, the 
uh, weird expression. He really is. I personally think Nicolas Cage is actually really, really great and sometimes underappreciated. Uh, you know, I think he's one of our greatest B-movie actors of all time. Uh, and I think sometimes when he's in the right role, he's actually really fantastic. You know, I, I, um, uh, I, I always tell people that, like, you know, if you want to understand Nicolas Cage, you know, you watch um, uh, what's that movie called? Moon Moonlight Moonlighting? No, not Moonlighting. That's that's the that's a TV series with what am I thinking? Face Off. Um, that's the one I would recommend. National Treasure. What's that film? Moonstruck. Moonstruck is amazing. And that was when he was young and like he he just like acts the hell out of that. And uh, you know, he's you can see his like weirdness is there, but it kind of works because the character is supposed to be this sort of off guy. He he's he's fantastic in it. And he's acting with Cher, and Cher is great yeah. in it. But like also, um I think I gotta see that. Oh yeah, no, it's great. Lately he's been in some really good movies that uh I'm gonna. I'm a kind of a horror nut, and in the 2010s, he's been in both Mandy and The Color Out of Space, and those are really bringing good. out the dead was also fantastic. That was a movie he did with. It was a Let's Martin Scorsese movie this, that, like, I think it's like people think of it as like a lesser man, Scorsese game. Like, like if, it's a killer movie. If he's not doing games, we shouldn't be doing games. <laughs> oh, and what was? Um, we should just make this a full time Cage cast. Yeah, I would. I would actually. I would a hundred percent do a Nicolas Cage cast. I wonder if there is one. There probably is. Right? There's probably a Nicolas Cage movie podcast that's probably already completed its run but oh god oh and um oh geez um uh bad lieutenant port of call new orleans one of the greatest films of all time my god that movie's amazing i don't even want to get into it here oh god he's got a lot of real bad movies though oh man it would be like it would be a real slog to do a movie podcast about nicholas cage's oeuvre that would be that would be mm, it would it would take real determination anyway capcom beat-em-ups are fun uh you can find our show on the internet at www.theshortgame.net where you'll find our various contact options we got a contact form you can write to us there you can write to us on twitter at underscore short game or you can support the show on patreon and that gets you access to our discord community where you can talk to us about Nicolas cage uh, and uh, let us know what you think about Nicolas Cage. Uh, and you can support the show for even a dollar a month. Yeah, if you like this extra rambly what's making us happy, uh, try us on the Discord where we're even worse. Yeah, or, or if you like this extra rambly version of the show, uh, maybe hope for more episodes where it's just Shane and me. <laughs> Because uh, that's that's what we get up to. Uh, you can find me personally on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R A Y G A N K, and you can find Shane on Twitter at Eight Bit Shane. And uh, thank you, listeners, for joining us on this episode of the Short Game. <laughs>